Happy Palm Sunday. I don't know if that's the proper way to say that, but I just thought I'd say Happy Palm Sunday. Merry Palm Sunday. Maybe that's what it is. However you want to do it, it's Palm Sunday. Um, it was on this day that we celebrate Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And as he entered, the crowds around him shouted Hosanna, and they laid palm branches and their coats on the ground before him. This was symbolic for that time, just of people recognizing that Jesus is a king, or they wanted him to be king. And it is something that they would do back in that time whenever a conquering king would enter and they wanted to celebrate that conquering king. They would throw palm branches down, they would lay their coats down, they would shout Hosanna. The problem is, as we know, is that the people wanted Jesus to overthrow the Roman government and set up his government. But Jesus had a much bigger plan, and that was to defeat the devil and sin and death, and to establish his kingdom, which knows no end. Correct? Yeah. Before we want to go on, I was just going to acknowledge there was a couple of teenagers here up on stage this morning, so I just want to thank you. And Tito, you were in the drum set, right? Nice. And we appreciate all you others, too, so it's not just, just want to make sure we know that. I love you all. <laughs> Have I got all my bases covered? Okay, perfect. Um, and as I was thinking this week about Palm Sunday and the crowds, and I was thinking of um, this memory of mine popped into my brain of the Sunshine Music Festival. Anybody remember the Sunshine Music Festival that happened out in Wilmer? Raise your hand if you went to the Sunshine Musical Festival at any time. Yeah, there's a few of you out there. Absolutely. I had the privilege, you know, it was out in Wilmer, and that's where I grew up, and then that's where... I spent 20 years doing youth ministry, and so I had the privilege of being a part of every festival out there except for one year, and that was because it shut down early. I had something else going on on uh, the Thursday, Friday, and I came back on Saturday, and I was coming back Saturday afternoon, and a storm went through, and they shut it down, so that's why I missed it. I was working for Youth for Christ at that time, and... Um, my boss, the executive director, Bob Poe, was one of the founding members of Sunshine Musical Festival. So the first bunch of years, I was in charge of getting all the stages set up. So the whole week, that was what I did. I was there at Sunshine. And of course, the real fun came in the teardown. Uh, not really. But teardown would start Saturday night and would go until 3 or 4 o'clock Sunday morning. And then we'd go to Perkins for breakfast. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then as I got older, that just got to be a little too hard and had a family. And so then Terry and I, we volunteered for in the artist services back in the backstage, helping with uh, taking care of artists by serving them food and all that kind of stuff. But um, I found this picture, and I just wanted to bring it. This, was, this is the Sunshine Festival, if none of you ever seen that. So 
right up here in this corner, if you can see where I'm doing my little thing, that's the Wilmer Senior High School, right there, that building. This, this, <coughs> excuse me, this building down here is the Civic Arena. It's a hockey arena, and that's another uh, place. And then right here is the main stage, and then this is a bunch of people. I figured this to be about... 10,000 people. In its heyday, Sunshine Music Festival would draw over 20,000 people. And they had like four stages. So yes, there's 10,000 people here, but there's all people on this side where there's a bunch of stages. There's this white building, they called it the HM stage, that was heavy metal. So if you were into, you know, any kind of heavy Christian metal, I mean, there was moshing going on. I mean, it was like dangerous physically at times. Our oldest son, that's where he hung out all the time. And whenever we would see him, he would be covered in sweat and occasionally a little blood, which you kind of go, what's going on? Um, but it was amazing because we'd walk into that stage and we would watch all these kids doing their thing and all that kind of stuff. And you, you got these musicians and, and, you know, and, and you wonder what, you know, it's like, really? Is this godly or whatever? And then all of a sudden this guy would get up, you know, covered in tattoos, long hair, and just sweating, and he would preach the gospel. And there was kids in that room that needed to hear the gospel. It was powerful. But the reason why I thought about this, you know, here, here you got probably about 10,000 people, and I got thinking of the crowd, and we'd be talking about the difference between a disciple and the crowd. And one of the reasons why the crowd loved Jesus is because he fed them. If you remember, he fed 5,000, but the text says men. And for many who uh, read that, they, they recognize that they probably just counted the men back in that day because that was the culture and the way they did things. So if you add a child and a woman to every man, that many think that Jesus served like 15 thousand, maybe even 20,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish. And that circle that I drew, that's about 10,000. Imagine feeding all of those people with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Today we're going to talk about the crowd and the question is kind of, am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower? A fan of Jesus or the crowd follows Jesus because he does these crazy things and feeds them. And Jesus also was an amazing teacher. It says that Jesus taught with authority. Uh, and then he did something else crazy. He healed people. Go figure, right? Sickness, paralyzed people, blind, demon-possessed, the deaf, he healed people. Can you understand why maybe you would want to follow Jesus wherever he went? Right? Today we're going to talk about um, the crowd piece. Last week we talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and we looked at the way a disciple was and what disciple meant in the time of Jesus and kind of compared that with today. But in this crowd and disciple thing, one of the things that we notice is that 
when Jesus said some things, some things, I mean, everybody wanted to follow him in this crowd, but sometimes Jesus would say these crazy things, and all of a sudden parts of the crowd would leave because what he said was hard to comprehend, or it was hard to receive, it was hard to live out. And in Mark chapter 8, we are going to take a moment and look at one of those hard things that he said, but here in the beginning of Mark 8, just to give a little context of where this teaching is found, it will, we'll get to, Jesus has just fed, and according to Mark, it's 4,000, so we think that that's another time that Jesus fed a bunch of people, and he healed some people. He and his disciples were kind of walking around. The crowd was falling, following him. Jesus is talking about what is going to happen to him and how he's going to be rejected by those who are in authority, both religious and political, and that he's going to suffer a bunch of stuff, and that he is going to die. In fact, people are going to kill him. And Peter, being Peter... And we know this story. Peter does what? He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes Jesus. Yo, Jesus, you're not going to die. I got you covered. I'll take care of anything. Gotta love Peter, right? And then Jesus pulls Peter aside and says these words, Get behind me, Satan. Well, talk about an encouraging word, right? Jesus tells Peter, you're not thinking about what concerns God. You're only thinking about what concerns humanity. In other words, our human perspective on what is going on in the world cannot fully grasp what God is doing in this world. And that's a huge piece for us to remember. Because sometimes, and I'm one of them, think I know what's going on and I think I know the answer. And yes, we have clues to some of that. But in the big picture, I'm clueless to what God is doing. Fully. So that brings us to Mark Chapter 8, verse 34, and this is what, this is the context. So then we have these words from Mark. Calling the crowd along with his disciples. Notice here that Mark differentiates between the two. Crowd, disciples. Okay, okay he's um, teaching or talking to them both. He says, if any one, one, one wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. 
Now, I know we've heard that many times. And we think of this denying ourselves and picking up the cross. And uh, we're kind of looking through this lens of post crucifixion and post resurrection. And uh, we have to remember that for the disciples, they didn't have a picture of a crucifixion and a resurrection. They, their picture of a cross is way different than our picture of a cross. Okay? Here's my next question. How many of you have some kind of jewelry on you right now that it has a cross? Maybe a necklace or an earring. We've got a couple out there. That, we see somebody wearing a cross and it's, it's no big deal. It's a pretty thing. In fact, we look at our cross up here and it's really nice looking. It's appealing to the eyes. Now I want you to do me a favor. Close your eyes. Imagine with me huge timbers that are rough. And they're in the shape of a cross. Imagine as you're looking at that cross laying there, there's dried blood and dried sweat from people being killed on that piece of wood. You can open your eyes again. For those who were following Jesus, when he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him, they, that's what they're picturing. Okay, you see, we, um, we've kind of um, domesticated this message of picking up the cross. You see, the better way for us to get a, ga- a concept of this would be to think of a guillotine or a hangman's noose. The, the utter um, uh, uh, emotion that you would feel by looking at that, there's no way we'd wear a guillotine or a hangman's noose uh, around our neck. We picture taking up your cross as kind of this exhortation to endure hardship, to be patient. This rough season you're going through, it's just a rough season. So just pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You'll get through it. But in this context, it is a call to be ready to die. Everything that Jesus did in his three years on earth was leading up to this week, to his death and his resurrection. So when we are hearing these words, pick up your cross and follow me, you've got to understand why maybe some of those in the crowd decided not to follow Jesus anymore. R.T. Franz, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, says this. What Jesus calls for here is thus a radical abandonment of one's own identity and self-determination and a call to join the march to the place of execution follows appropriately from this 
Such self-denial is on a different level altogether from giving up chocolate for Lent. It is not the denial of something to the self, but the denial of the self itself. This is counterculture to our Western mindset. And I would say it's counterculture in general to the Western church. This radical call to denying self itself is a call that many will walk away. Yes, they love when Jesus feeds them, and yes, they love his great messages, and yes, they love the fact that he's healing him, but wait, 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 wait. You want me to pick up my cross and follow you? You want me to deny self itself? And notice in verse 35 of Mark 8 that part of this denial of picking up our cross and this losing life is because of Jesus and the gospel. It says here, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. We have to remember that the gospel, the Greek word here is euangelion, is where we get our word evangelism. So in other words, the sacrifice, whoever loses his life, is more than just saying privately and in the good and quietness of my home, I will follow you, Jesus, and I'll be a good person at work. There is a peace to this picking up your cross and following him, which includes evangelism, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we can sit in our home and believe Jesus and say, I'm going to pick up my cross and we can be generous and give some money to a nonprofit and maybe go and serve, help serve food somewhere. But the call is to more than that. It is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around me. And this is reflected in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. We went through this a couple of years ago in 1 Corinthians. And the church was worried about their rights and their freedoms. And Paul says, hey, you know, I've got all kinds of rights and freedoms, but if me fighting for my rights and freedom gets in the way of me proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to somebody, then I give up my rights and freedoms. Paul understood what it meant to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. It is statements like these that cause the crowd to leave A disciple says, I'll follow you no matter what. I'll proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ no matter what. I will do what the gospel calls me to do no matter what. I'll do my set my desires and freedoms aside no matter what. The crowd says, you know, 
I really love the miracles. I love the fact that you're taking care of me. But you want me to do what? I think I'm going to go home. And it was in the, midst, in, in the time of preparing for this that uh, in my devotions I've been reading through the Gospels and um, I come across the parable of the sower and the seed and I thought, oh, this is a great picture of the difference between a crowd and the disciple. And, and so I'm going to read from Matthew 13, 1 through 9. It starts out this way. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came and choked it out. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let everyone who has ears listen. Jesus tells this parable of this parable of the sower to his disciples and the crowd, and then later on he explains the meaning to his disciples. The crowd kind of gets the idea, but they don't have the full, complete understanding. They are from an um, agricultural background. Farming is a way of life. So as soon as G Jesus says, consider the sower, they knew exactly what he was talking about. But why did Jesus tell this parable? <clears throat> because... As you read right there, he doesn't give much explaining. He just says, hey, like a sower, goes out, throws some on the path, some on the rocky soil, some in the thorns, some on good soil, and here's what happens. Jesus explains to this, the story to the disciples, and he says, this is the words about the kingdom. And he says this, the path are those that hear but don't understand. And the devil comes and snatches away that knowledge. The rocky ground is those that hear and they receive it with joy. They really love this message, but then there's no root. And because there's really no root, persecution comes or really hard times come and they immediately turn away or fall away and then there is the thorns. Those that fall among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this age and the deception of wealth choke out the word and they bear no fruit. The first three in this parable for me are the crowd. They loved the word. They loved the story of Jesus. Again, they loved the miracles but they didn't fully understand that would be the people on the seed sown on the, on the soil or the hard path. They didn't fully understand. And so the devil comes along and pulls it away. 
For the soil, the rocky ground, again, that's, that's people who hear the word, and this is great, they're fully into it. But when hard stuff comes along, because the roots don't go deep, they give it up right away. Maybe they have some health things. It's not going the way they want. Maybe their marriage is in shambles. Maybe they've lost their job. Whatever it may be, something has happened in the world, and they walk away. The phrase you might hear from them is, well, my God wouldn't let this happen. Or my God wouldn't do this. If God really loved me. And of course, we have the thorns, and that's people, they're so busy striving in this world, trying to make the most money or to get the highest promotion, whatever the striving may be, that any any time in the Word gets choked out and they bear no fruit for the kingdom because they're striving for the world. The contrast here in the words of the kingdom is the good soil. And the good soil is one who hears and understands the Word and then produces fruit. This is the one who receives it fully. This is the one that is picking up their cross, denying self and pursuing Jesus fully. This is the one that no matter what is going on in the world around them, whatever pressure, they go, I'm in with Jesus. This is the one who they're doing the best that they can at their job, but the reason why they're doing their job well is for the glory of God, not for self-promotion. So this led me to a question, and the question is this, can I change? If, if right now, if I were to take an honest look at myself, and I would say, yeah, I'm more like the guy who, you know, the seed has fallen onto the rocky path, the rocky soil, and, you know, I've been going through a rough stretch, and I'm, I, I'm actually really upset with God can my soil become good? Or if, am I the one with the thorns? And the cares of the world is choking me out, and so I'm really not doing anything for the kingdom. i got too many other cares. And can my soil be changed? Well, the easy answer is yes. That's the good news. Wherever you are, God can bring restoration. God can bring renewal. God can till up your soil. He can plant. You can bear much fruit for His kingdom. Which brings me to the follow-up question is, why change? I mean... Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come so that they may have life and have it in its abundance. The reality is, whether you submit fully 
to Jesus or not, life is hard. <laughs> You're going to experience hardship. Why not do hardship with Jesus? Why not invite Jesus into that journey and say, okay, Jesus, I'm not sure how I'm going to get through this, but, I, and, but I'm going to go with you. Because you have promised to give me life and give it to the full. Now what Jesus is not plan- promising is life and life without any problems, or without any concerns, without any trouble. He's, not pro- He's promising abundance even in the midst of the struggle. And if Jesus promises abundance, and that abundance is eternal, why would I be concerned about abundance that is temporal here on earth? Again, there's nothing wrong with having money or having things. That's not the problem. Is What would it be like to pick up my cross and follow him To believe fully that Jesus came to give me life and to give it abundantly. The next question then should be how change? Well, we talked about it a little bit uh, last week. How ch- but this is the disciple. The disciple is one who is with Jesus, like Jesus, and does what Jesus did. How change? Begin the process. Be with Jesus. Learn what it means to be with Jesus in a daily in, in our daily life. It's being like Jesus. It's reading the Gospels and coming to understand how Jesus lived his life. It's doing what Jesus did. It, again, it's reading the Gospels and going, I'm going to live my life in a way that is mimicking or just like Jesus. After Easter, we're going to begin a series of answering this question. How to change. It'll be part of this, you know, the dust of the rabbi, but we're going to dive into that and answer this question more completely. How do we change? And to start this process, one of the first things we need to do is to examine ourselves and where we are right now with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. What is the condition of your soil right now? Father God, I just pray for each one of us here that you would reveal to us by your spirit, the condition of our soil. Knowing that you desire the best for us, that you desire to give us life and to give it fully, that this isn't about condemnation, it's about just evaluation and conviction and challenging us to something more. So reveal to us the condition of our own soil. So let me ask you, is your soil like the path where you're not fully understanding who Jesus is? Or maybe your soil is like the rocky ground that you understand, but you're going through some really, really, really hard times right now. 
And right now, you're not quite sure if you're on the same side of Jesus. Why, let alone, would I want to pick up my cross and follow him? Or maybe your soil is the thorns in you are all, all the cares of this world is just messing with you. Maybe you have good soil. That, praise Jesus, you have good soil. I mean, and we all go through seasons too, but maybe you're at a place where you have good soil and you're bearing much fruit for His glory. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Wherever you are on this, journey, whatever your soil is, um, if you want to pray with somebody, when I get done with prayer here, praying for all of us, I want to invite you just to come forward. We're going to have a couple people up here that can pray with you. And all you need to say is, here's Here's where I feel like my soil is, and I just need prayer. And they'll listen, and they'll pray. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for, um, yeah, that you would till our soil. You would overturn the soil, even the crusty spots, that you would turn it over. Like a plow digging deep in and turn it over. You would take our hearts and our minds and you would turn it over and reveal the good soil. It's there, it's there, it just needs to be turned over. So in Jesus' name, I pray that you would begin doing a plowing, a deep plowing, Father, to turn over our soil. And then plant deep into our soil the seeds of your word, which is true and right. And that we would be a people that bears much fruit for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. We pray, amen.